the First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. brought a Bible with you or you have a Bible app on your mobile phone, uh, please uh, turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter number six. Uh, We are in the fourth part of this series titled Portraits of Christianity, which um, we actually have subtitled Living Images of Christ. And and the reason for this and the reason for this series um, is we as Christians are called not simply just to get saved, but we are to be living images of Jesus Christ in the world around us. Uh, They were to reflect the image of Christ you know, to those around us, it, it, because as we've discussed in the, the first few weeks here, we are to be conformed, as Paul says, to the image of the, the Son of God, who, by the way, is the very image of the invisible God, which means we are to be actively transformed into the very image, not just of a man, but God himself. Our lives are to be a reflection. We're to be transformed to be a reflection of the very nature and the character of who God is, which is what God wanted all along, because If you'll remember in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That was his plan from the very beginning. We were created from the very beginning in the image of God. We were created to reflect him on earth. It was God's plan from from the very beginning to reflect his character and who he is. But we know, as we all know, that that image is distorted and, and it was broken as sin entered the world. We no longer reflect or look like the image of God. And so to remedy that, you know, to fix that, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, not only to save us, okay, because he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just save us and leave us where we are. He, through the Holy Spirit, begins to reshape us and remold us and change us. God sent Jesus to restore us. You know, to restore what was broken and what was lost to begin with. And so God sent Jesus to be our teacher and our visible example of who we are to become. And so Paul tells us that we're to grow and become spiritually mature. And then he says, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, which is spiritual maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan from the very beginning. It was God's plan from the very beginning that we reflect his nature and character. And that's still his plan today. God wants us to be remade into living images of Christ. God wants us, once again, to reflect his, his nature and character in the world around us. And so we, as his children, can be a light and an influence for everyone else that we come in contact with for the cause of Christ. And so that's what this series is all about. Well, the big question then is how do we do that? Okay, How do we become conformed to the image of Christ? I mean, what does that look like? Because there are really lots of different ideas and lots of different expressions of what it means to be a Christ follower. I mean, there are a lot of preconceived notions that are driven by culture and driven by media and driven by even geography and even history of what it means to be a Christ follower. And some of these perspectives can be very, very distorted. And so the goal of this series is to answer that question, what does it actually look like to follow Jesus? And so to answer this question, we've decided as much as it is possible for us to look past our culture and look past you know, uh, the media and, and our traditions, we're, we're going to uh, look directly at the Word of God to see for ourselves what this actually looks like to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, how many of you guys are, like, freezing in here? Okay. Can I? Hey, Carson, can you go out back and flip that? Or, Danny, you want to do that? Yeah. Thank you. All right. I'll just sweat then. Thank you. <laughs> All right. 
So now the purpose of this series is we are concentrating our time and our efforts in actually studying the, the, the book of Luke, which is perhaps the best source of what it means to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 6 is, is a great chapter to study because in this chapter, Jesus gives us some very clear um, examples and, and clear commands of how to, to, to follow Christ. And, and in this chapter, Jesus covers really a lot of ground of how we should live our lives in an effort to be more like him. And, and, we've, and we've seen some of these things over the last few weeks. In fact, we began this series by, by trying to answer a foundational question that Jesus asks at the end of chapter 6 when he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's a really, really big question. I mean, why would you call me Lord? Why would you, would you call me Master, but not do what I actually say to do? Why would you call yourself by my name? Why would you take the name Christian... You know, as if you belong to me, and then not do the things that I tell you to do or follow the example that I give. And why would you do that? You see, the foundation of being a Christ follower or, or to become, is to be, become obedient what Christ says to do and, 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 and to do what he does by example. Which means being a disciple is exactly that. Being a disciple of Jesus is to actually be obedient. And then in week two, we talked about that, that even though that we as Christ followers are to be obedient to Christ and do what he says, we need to keep in mind that, that following Jesus is about our relationship with him and not a set of regulations. You see, we need to be obedient and we need to, to, to be serious about holiness but that's not a condition of our salvation. We should be obedient and walk in holiness because that is what's good for us. And that is because what, that is the thing that honors God. It's the natural byproduct of following Jesus. You see, we're not called to obey just because of some rules. We're called to obey because that's what's good for us and what is right for us. And that's what actually honors God. And in the process, we draw deeper and closer to Christ in our relationship through that obedience, becoming more and more like him, which is the point. Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, helps us to see that by following him and being like him, all right, uh, never ever has it ever been about, you know, a religion or, or, or about rules. It's about a deep connected relationship with him and with other people. And then last week, uh, Keith told you a story, you know, about Jesus, how, how he chose his 12 disciples and how before he did that, he went and got alone with God and he prayed all night long. Okay, And Keith then turned and asked a serious question. When it comes to, to big decisions that you make, how much time do you actually spend praying uh, about it? I mean, this is an important question because Jesus in the story gives us a really clear example to follow. Important decisions require a lot of prayer. And I can just tell you from personal experience that the mistakes that I have made in my life have not, become, have not been because I've spent too much time praying. Okay? It's actually the opposite of that. All right, the mistakes that I have made, you know, I've prayed very little, if at all. In fact, I remember when Kim and I lived in Bakersfield, um, and when things got really good for us financially, we started making all kinds of decisions. Um, next thing you know, we, we were buying a 3,200-square-foot house for $440,000. $440,000, we barely even prayed about it. And then, you know, while things were good, we... Decided I needed a, a new car, you know, $36,000 car I didn't pray about. And then because I got a new car, well, Kim needed a new car, you know, and so we bought a $50,000 Suburban that, you know, we didn't pray about. And let me just tell you, I know for a fact that if I had prayed about these things, if I would have prayed like Jesus prayed about these important things, we wouldn't have bought those things, okay? And I can tell you for two reasons why. First of all, God does not want his people 
up to their eyeballs in debt. That is just, I mean, you read the word of God, that is not what he wants out of us. And the second thing is two years after we bought the house, the bottom fell out of the market and it was worth half, half, 50% of what we, we bought it for. And so it wasn't God's will for us to buy the house. It was our will that we wanted. And somehow we kept thinking, this is what God wanted for us. So we certainly didn't follow Jesus' example and pray it out. And so last week, Keith challenged us, you know, if we, we will seek to follow Christ, that we would, we would pray, especially if you have really big, big decisions to make. And not just pray just a little bit, but actually spend more time in prayer. Now this week, this week we're going to take an even closer look at what it means to follow uh, Jesus. And, um, and the source of what we're going to learn about and, and talk about today is the very next part of Luke 6, which is the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. And, and, and the part of the sermon that we're going to look at today is known as the Beatitudes. Now, uh, just about everybody has heard of the Beatitudes. If you are a Christian, you definitely have heard about them. And the truth is most people, especially in America, have heard uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, or at least in bits and pieces. Because um, you might not realize that they might not realize that it or not that it's, it's from that sermon. But when you say, blessed are, most people will say the poor or the meek or the peacemakers. Most people have heard bits and pieces of this, of this sermon. But the problem is is that most people, including many Christians, don't have any idea what Jesus is actually talking about here. And, and, and I'm not just trying to be sarcastic or demeaning about this, but in this text is what, when people read this, they, they go, oh, how nice, how sweet Jesus is, and how wonderful these words are for those who are poor and hungry, thinking that these words were given just to encourage people who have it rough and, and who are suffering. But that's not what this text is about at all. You see, Jesus does offer encouragement for those who suffer, but that's not the point that he's making here. In this text, this part of the text, Jesus is making a huge statement of what it means to follow him. It's a statement that we have a tendency, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously, to overlook. But the point that Jesus makes here in this text is, is actually critically important. It's something that we need to come to terms with. And so what I want to do real quick this morning is I want to read this entire text um, to you and then... What we'll do is we'll just kind of take it apart, and then we'll examine the pieces and see what Jesus is actually getting at. And so in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, it says, and, and he came down with them and stood on a level place, and with a great crowd and his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed uh, of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you. And spurn your name is evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, this is the part of the text that many people read and then they stop. Okay, But that's actually a mistake because when we read this text, it's actually connected to the next part when Jesus continues and says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. For you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did of the false prophets. 
Now, right up front, um, I'm just going to tell you that one of the reasons why I think a lot of people get this confused uh, is because for so many of us, our Bibles break this text up into subheadings. In fact, in the ESV, it gets broken down like this. It's three separate little sections. You have the first section that's labeled as Jesus ministers to a great multitude. And then there's a section called the Beatitudes. And then there's this, the section, the third section that's labeled uh, Jesus pronounces woe. And, 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 and for some, this can give this impression that these are three distinct sections of text with three different points to make. But the truth is, they're actually one. This first section actually tells the setting and the location about what Jesus is actually doing. Jesus is on a plateau, and he's ministering, and he's healing people, you know, and, and, he, can, and he begins to preach. And what he begins to preach here is the Sermon on the Mount. And this part of the text actually connects to the whole rest of chapter 6, because in the rest of chapter 6, Jesus, what he says from here is all a part of that sermon at this one location. And then in the first part of this sermon, kind of like the, the opening act of his sermon, Jesus opens up with the famous Beatitudes. And again, there are these four blessed statements. Blessed are you who, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Okay? And this is one of the most famous parts of the sermon. In fact, Matthew in his gospel also tells this part of the story. Now, Matthew's version is slightly different because Matthew is, is writing his gospel to a Jewish audience and he focuses on the, the details that are relevant to Jews. But the important thing that we need to understand here is this is not the end of the Beatitudes portion of the, of the sermon. This, this isn't the end of the thought. This portion where, where he says, blessed are you, is actually connected to the section where Jesus pronounces woe, where he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep and mourn. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, so did they, so their fathers did to the false prophets. You see, these two sections actually are a unified part of this sermon. These two sections come together. They belong together. They, they communicate a single idea. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not making you know, four simple individual statements about being blessed. Okay? He's not talking about the ways in which people are blessed. And he isn't making four individual statements about how people are not blessed. I mean, because think about this, all right? What do you think blessings would be? Right? Is it being poor? Is it being hungry? What about mourning? What about being you know, excluded and persecuted? Does that sound like a blessing to you? Okay. What, what about being rich? You know, what about being full and satisfied? What about being happy? What about you know, being well-liked and popular? That sounds like a blessing to me. I mean, I mean doesn't it to you? I mean, I mean if you're going to pick you know, either of these lists, you know, what it means to be blessed, what do you pick? I mean, do you pick hunger? Do you pick persecution? I know what I'm picking. I mean, if it's going to be between having money and not having money. I want to pick having money. If it's between, you know, eating and, and not eating, I'm going to choose to eat. Okay? And so would you. You see, this isn't about these individual things. This message isn't about these individual things. Because the fact is, let's just face it, poverty is not a blessing. Being poor is not a blessing. Jesus doesn't look at the poor, especially here in America, saying, oh, you are just so blessed and you are just so near me because you're poor. Because 
What if you're poor because you make a habit of making really stupid choices? Is that a blessing to be that to be in that kind of poverty? What if you're poor just because you just refuse to work? What if you're poor just because you just want to sit around and get high all day and, and play Xbox, knowing all the while the government's going to provide for you? Is Jesus blessing that kind of poor? Poverty is not a blessing. Okay? A person being poor for poor's sake is not blessed. It's not a blessing to go hungry either. And let's be clear, God is not honored when children go hungry. Okay? Someone who is being malnourished, that is not a blessing. And, and, and it's not a blessing to mourn either, because the reasons why we mourn typically, you know, aren't blessings. I mean, you're not blessed when you lose a loved one, right? You're not blessed when you go through divorce. You're not blessed when you lose your job. You're not blessed when you've been betrayed by a close friend. Mourning is not a blessing. The hurt that causes mourning is not a blessing. And neither is suffering persecution for persecution's sake. I mean, you know, if someone's you know, being mean and hurtful to you, you know, it's not a blessing, especially if you're being persecuted for doing something wrong or doing something stupid. Okay? It's not a blessing to be persecuted you know, if you're an American. It's not a blessing to be persecuted if you have different ideas than your boss does. It's not a blessing to be persecuted because your mother-in-law hates your guts. Okay? That's not a blessing. On the other hand, being rich or having some excess, and that's what being rich is, is having excess, okay? isn't always a bad thing. Okay? Especially when you can use it for good, because the truth is most Americans, according to the rest of the world's standard, are rich because we have excess. And if you want to act like that you don't have excess... If you ever go out to eat, or if you ever spend any money on entertainment, whether it's you know movies or video games or whatever, you have excess. Which means you're richer than the vast majority of the rest of the world. It might not feel like it, but it's still the truth. Having excess isn't always a bad thing. Okay? And neither is being full. Having enough to eat isn't a bad thing. And neither is being happy or laughing or having joy, you know, because we all want to be happy. It's not a bad thing to be well-liked or influential or popular, especially when you can use those things for good. So if being poor and hungry and mourning and being persecuted isn't a blessing and having excess and being satisfied and being happy and being well-liked you know, isn't a bad thing, then what is Jesus actually saying here? What's the point that he's driving at here? Because I know people who will read this text here, and they'll, they'll, they'll just take it what Jesus is saying literally here, and they use it to promote class warfare. That somehow if a person has more excess than somebody else, somehow they're evil and, 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 and they're a schemer, you know, and all they care about is themselves. And they could care less about what God, you know, God's plan is, and so God one day is going to humble them. And somehow every person who is poor, and somehow every person who, who is in want is noble or honorable and closer to Christ, and one day God's going to vindicate them. Well, let me just tell you, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. You see... Jesus, yes, has a heart for the poor. And as Christians, we need to work to alleviate the suffering of the poor. But what Jesus is talking about here is something different. And there's some clues in the text here. You have to read and find the clues in the text. But there's some clues in the text that help us um, to find out what Jesus is talking about. That's why you have to read these things in context. Because this is the part of the sermon Okay, that, that so many people will just take bits and pieces and run with it and actually instead of reading it together as a whole because there's some clues that tell the story. 
Beginning in verse 20, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's just stop right here. Jesus is talking, he's not talking about being poor. He's talking about the kingdom of God here. And he said, blessed are you who are poor. Now, think about this, okay? Being poor does not give you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We know that that is not the gospel. Because we know that we obtain the kingdom of heaven by putting our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ alone. So then there must be something else to what he's saying. Well, there is more. In fact, look at the next verse. He said, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Now, keeping in mind the context here, when will you be satisfied? When will you no longer be hungry and be satisfied? You will be satisfied not here on the earth. That's not what it's saying. It says you will be satisfied in this context in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Everything Jesus is talking about here is related to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, look at the next part. He said, blessed are you when you weep now, for you shall laugh. When? In the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. And here's the important part. On the account of the Son of Man. Now this is the part that that you have to understand. Jesus isn't talking about four different groups of people. Jesus isn't talking to poor people and hungry people and people who are mourning and people who are persecuted. He's not talking to four different groups of people. He's talking to one group of people. People who actually are following him. Because the key phrase in this text here, this entire text is, on the account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you if you were poor on the account of the Son of Man. Blessed if you are willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus is what he's saying here. Blessed are you if you are hungry on the account of, uh, of the Son of Man. Blessed are you if you go hungry to make sure other people can eat you know, to glorify God. Blessed are you who mourn on the account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you who mourn and weep for the people that are lost. Blessed are you who are frustrated and upset with a world that leads people off to their spiritual doom. Blessed are you who cry and mourn for those who die apart from Christ. Blessed are you who stand up in the world for the name of Christ. Blessed are you who are willing to proclaim my name in the face of persecution. Blessed are you who are willing to be maligned and beaten and made fun of on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you who are willing to confess that you are a Christian and that you belong to me even when a gunman in Oregon comes and puts a gun to your head and then pulls the trigger. Blessed are you. Blessed are you because you did it on the account of me. And then verse 23, Jesus says, Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Rejoice and leap for joy when you were persecuted on account of me, when you were poor and hungry because you served me. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. You see, being poor and hungry or mourning or being persecuted isn't, being a, isn't a blessing. But if you're willing to sacrifice all that you have, and if you're willing to go hungry, and you're willing to mourn for the lost, and you're willing to be persecuted, even to die for the cause of Christ, then absolutely blessed are you. That's the reason why you're blessed. is because great is your reward in heaven. You see the connection here? Jesus connects this temporal suffering that we have here, the pain that we have here for the cause of Christ in this world with an everlasting reward in heaven. 
If you're poor for my sake, Jesus would say, you will have wealth in the kingdom of God. If you're hungry for my sake, you will permanently be satisfied beyond your greatest imagination. If you mourn for for the loss for my sake, you will know one day a joy that will never, ever end because there will be no more tears and no more pain. If you're willing to endure people calling you names and persecuting, even killing you for my sake, you have no idea how wonderful your reward in heaven will be. In fact... You will be counted among the faithful because in times past the prophets also suffered as you suffer. For as Jesus says, so their, father, so their fathers did to the prophets. But on the other hand, Jesus says, but woe to you who were rich, for you've received your, your consolation. Woe to you who have excess but are unwilling to share it for my sake. Woe to you who refuse to, to use your resources to glorify me. Woe to you when you suffer, and, you know, when you, when, when, you, um, when, when you use your stuff and your money and it's all about you. You already have your reward. So enjoy it now because your reward is only temporary. Woe to you when you are full now for you shall be hungry. Woe to you when your belly is full and your appetites are full. Woe to you when you can eat the finest foods and, and, and you can get all you want, but you refuse to sacrifice to help others in my name. Woe to you when you make sure that you satisfy every one of your own desires instead of honoring me. You have your reward right now. You're full now, but it's temporary. One day, though, you will know what it's like to be in want, and that will be permanent. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who need to be constantly entertained and distracted. Woe to you that, that, that you make a point to be continually indulged and entertained to the point that, 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 that the whole world is going off without you instead of gauging, engaging in the struggle for my cause. Because that's what we tend to do, right? We tend to forget that there's a mil- there are millions of people dying every day. I mean, it took a wake-up call in our own country where 10 people were shot in the head Christians, but thousands of people are being martyred every day around the world. He said, woe to those who can distract yourselves and entertain yourselves. Jesus says, woe to you continually seeking happiness and entertainment instead of me. For you have your reward. Entertain yourself to your heart's content. All right, but on that, but, but one day that will come to an end and you will know real sorrow. Verse 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you because you were more interested in the approval of man than the approval of God. Woe to you, you know, for your influence and your popularity when you refuse to use it for the, for the, for the sake of Christ. Woe to you when people speak well of you because their fathers did the same to the false prophets. You have your reward. You have the pats on the back already. But it's still temporary. You see in this text, Jesus is painting this contrasting picture. A picture of someone who's selling out. He is contrasting someone selling out for him and someone who who is selling out for other things like self and pleasure and materialism and for the world. That's what this text is about. This text is about selling out. But who or what are you selling out for? Because we all sell out for something. And notice in both instances, he talks about the prophets. You see, the prophets knew that it was better to have money 
than not have it. They knew that it was better to have food than not have it. They knew it was better to be happy than sad. They knew it was better for people to like you rather than hate you. In fact, they wanted the same thing that you want. But they were willing to sell out for God. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to go hungry if needed be. They were willing to endure mourning. They were willing to be persecuted if it meant that God was glorified. But the false prophets were not willing to sell out for God. They sold out for themselves. They sold out for their appetites. They sold out for their political gain. They sold out to enrich their own lives. You see, it's not about the poor. It's not about are you poor or hungry or are you mourning or persecuted. It's about are you willing to be those things in an effort to glorify Christ. That's what it's about. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Are you willing to give up all that you have to sell it for me? Are you willing to, to, to hunger you know, for, for, for things that your body desires? To sell out for Jesus? Are you willing to give up food? Are you willing to, to give up you know, a night's sleep, spending the night praying? Are you, are you willing to give up sex so that lust won't get in the way of your relationship with Christ so, God, so, so, he, could, so he can be glorified in your life? Are you willing to suffer you know, for his name's sake? Are you willing to sell out for me? Is what Jesus is asking here. <clears throat> because if you are, then your reward is going to be unimaginable in heaven. And guess what? Those rewards aren't temporary. They're eternal. That's what Jesus says. That's why he says things like, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven for neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the question that Jesus poses here because of this text is, where's your heart? That's the whole issue of this text. Where is your heart? Are you sold out for me? Are you sold out for me or are you sold out for yourself? Because if you are sold out for me, no matter what happens to you and whatever you sacrifice, no matter how much you suffer for my name's sake, your reward will be unimaginable. Your reward will be in heaven. It can never be lost. So blessed are you. But if you sell out for yourself and the things of this world, it won't matter how much you get and it won't matter how much you eat. And it won't matter how many sexual encounters you have and it won't matter how much fun you had in this life or how happy you were in the moment. You have received your reward here on earth and one day you will know suffering. And it won't be temporary, and it will be unimaginable, and it will be forever. So woe to you. So the big question that we all have to wrestle with then is, are you willing to sell it for Christ? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Being a Christ follower means selling out for Jesus. And that's the picture that he's painting here. He's painting a picture of what it looks like to follow him and what it looks like not to follow him. Following him means selling out for him. Not following him means selling out for something else. Because the truth is, we all sell out for something. We, every one of us, sell out for something. Some sell it for riches. Some sell it for desires. Some sell it for relationships. Some sell it for hobbies. Some sell it for sports, some sell it for sex, but most sell out for self or just for the world. Who are you selling out for? Who are you willing to be poor for? Who are you willing to mourn over? 
Who are you willing to suffer for? You see, Jesus, our example, he sold out. But he sold out for you. I don't know if you really understand that. God in the flesh came to earth to be a man for you. And regardless of who you sell out for, regardless of who we sell out for, we are all still broken, rotten sinners, rightly condemned. We all deserve to suffer forever because of our sin. But God, out of his love, he sold out for us. Jesus came to the earth and he lived a perfect life, forsaking his own desires, giving up his glory. Jesus, God in the flesh, became poor so you could be blessed. He came to the earth and went hungry so that you could be blessed. Jesus came to the earth and he mourned and he wept for you so that you could be blessed. And he suffered for you so you could be blessed. And how did he suffer? How was he persecuted for you? Jesus was uh, beaten and scourged beyond recognition. And then he was nailed to a cross. He suffered for hours and hours where he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did all that to sell out for you. He sold out for every one of you. Blessed are the poor and the hungry and those who mourn, and those who are mistreated on the account of Jesus, the one who sold out for them. For theirs is a reward in heaven, unimaginable and unending. Selling out for Jesus means living in a way that demonstrates that we believe that our hope is actually real. And so I ask you again, who are you selling out for? Is it Christ or is it something else? Which brings me to your homework this week. This week I want you to take some time and get alone with God and just ask him really simply, Lord, where have I not sold out for you? Show me the part of my life that I am not selling out for you. Lord, is it my relationships? Am I valuing friendships over you to the point that I don't even talk about you to people? Am I selling out for lust, you know, be it pornography or adultery or, or some just simply lustful thoughts? Lord, am I, you know, am I selling out to material things? Do I use money and, and, and stuff in a way that demonstrates that I'm actually sold out for you? Lord, I, I want to be completely sold out for you. Show me where I'm not sold out for you and where I'm sold out for something else. And then, Lord, help me to change that. Help me to sell out in the way that you want me to. And then take some time and follow where God leads you this week. Now, for those of you who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet, Jesus sold out for you too. And here's the truth that I know about you. You're a sinner. That means, you know, you've done lots of things wrong. And guess what? You cannot fix it. And you can't make yourself right before God, no matter how many times you tell yourself, well, I'm a good person. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned, and our best efforts before God are garbage. Because our sin, we deserve to be judged. 
And we deserve the punishment and the suffering that follows that judgment. But God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to suffer for you, to pay a debt that you couldn't pay so that you would have a reward everlasting in heaven. And all you have to do is turn to him right now in faith. Put all of your hope and all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because as Paul says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're ready to take that step today, then let's all bow our heads. But if you're ready to take that step today, then pray with me. Pray this with me. Lord, I realize that I am broken. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize there's nothing, there's nothing I can do to make it right. It's not that my good deeds aren't good. It's just that my stain of my sin covers everything up. I can't escape it. And I realize how hopeless I am. There's nothing I can do to make myself right before you. And so I just pray, Lord God, that you would, right now, come into my life. I believe that Jesus came and he suffered unimaginable for me. And I believe that, that he died physically. And I believe that three days later that he raised from the dead physically, bodily, proving that he is who he says he is, the Messiah. And that he can do Everything he promised he would do, which is to save me. And so I confess right now that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that you rose him from the dead. And I want right now more than anything else is for him to be the Lord of my life. And so I just ask, Lord, rescue me. Fill me up with the Holy Spirit today that I would know for a fact that I belong to you. And then help me to walk after you and, and follow you all the days of my life. I thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.